Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. So, you know, it is... um... It is easy to find sad stories about terrible fathers. And uh, that's why I appreciate wonderful stories about God-honoring fathers. As a 17-year-old, Anne Graham Lutz, the daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, was involved in a car accident. And um, she was speeding carelessly uh, down a windy mountain road and she smashed into her neighbor, Mrs. Pickering. And um, Anne said that she was too afraid to tell her father about the accident. So for the rest of the day, she kept avoiding him. And um, when she finally came home, uh, she tried to tip her toe around her dad, but there he was standing in the kitchen waiting for her. And uh, she paused for what seemed a very long moment. Uh, frozen in time. And then she ran to him and she threw her arms around his neck. She told him about her wreck, how she had driven too fast and smashed into the, into the neighbor's car. She told him it was all her fault. And Anna remembers her dad, Billy, saying four things to her that day. Anne, I knew all along about your wreck. Mrs. Pickering came straight up the mountain and told me, and I was just waiting for you to come and tell me yourself, I love you. We can fix the car. You're going to be a better driver because of this. And um, Anne Graham Lotz added this reflection. She said, sooner or later, all of us are involved in some kind of wreck. It may be your own fault or someone else's. When the damage is your fault, there's a good chance you'll be confronted by the flashing blue lights of the morality police. But my father gave me a deeper understanding of what it means to experience the loving, forgiving embrace of my heavenly father. Yeah. So... We've been thinking about God's will now for the last several Sundays. And in fact, I'm going to conclude that series of messages next Sunday, knowing God, is it like GPS or a compass? But I I thought it would be best today just to take a little pause or a break in that series so we could reflect together on what it means to be a godly husband and father on this Father's Day. I believe God wants us to have that important information. And I'm also convinced that the Bible provides both explicit and implicit uh, guidelines to help men discover the joyful and, yes, sometimes difficult responsibility of living into the calling of being a godly husband, father, grandfather. Psalm 128 is the Bible passage that we want to look at today, and it provides some just very clear, simple yet profound insights into fathering. Just a short little psalm. 
And now it's true, I'm, I'm speaking first and foremost to all of the males here this morning and for those who are tuning in online as well. But this is very much a message for everyone because ladies, what the Bible says to men ought to be of vital interest to you, yes? Yeah. So let's all of us read and think about Psalm 128 and observe there what it takes to be an effective father. Now, I'm sure it was written to everybody, but it's also clear that uh, whoever wrote Psalm 128 meant it primarily to focus on the men of Israel. 128, here's the first verse in the book of Psalms. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, they will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 128. So I find in that very brief psalm, first of all, the principle of effective father. The principle of effective father. There's a principle that's embedded in this psalm that we just read that forms the foundation for any and all effective fathering. And I want to suggest to you that it's a principle that has two parts to it. The first part is implicit in Psalm 128. In other words, it's not stated, uh, you know, out there clearly for us, but it's explicit or it's assumed throughout Scripture. What's that? God calls men to be leaders in their own home. It's just that simple. God calls men to be leaders in their own home. Now, one reason that few men seem to understand what's unique about being a Christian father is a failure to understand leadership from a Christian perspective. And godly leadership never means being king of the castle and lord of the manor. Never did, never will. It doesn't mean the wife and kids should be daddy or hubby's slave. Godly leadership never means my time is my own and nobody can tell me what to do. Godly leadership is never about being autocratic, tyrannical. I'm the boss here and you better cringe when I speak kind of an individual. Doesn't mean that. Addison Leach was um, a godly man, a leader back in the 20th century. And for a period of time, he, he served as the, the dean of a small college in Pennsylvania. And on one occasion, he learned that, that the walls of the men's dorm were smeared now with shaving cream and peanut butter and jelly. So he went over to investigate. And it was a prank. But, of course, not a soul in the dorm had any idea how this could possibly have happened. In room after room, he just ran into surprised innocence. Now, he has several options. He could make every man in that dorm go to work and clean it up. 
Uh, he could, secondly, call the college's custodian, but he was a very good and, and, and valuable employee. And yes, he would have come. He would have cleaned up and scrubbed up the, the mess. But it was really above and beyond his job description, this custodian. There was a third option. Dean Leach went and he got a bucket and a brush, and he set to work himself. And one by one, doors opened, heads popped out, word spread as to what the dean of the college was doing. And soon he was not the only one cleaning up the mess. That's the power of godly leadership. It commands respect. It doesn't demand it. And godly leadership, it's a responsibility and a duty. What, what What does leadership look like in the context of a Christian home and a Christian family? Well, if we had the time to consider all of the relevant scriptures, we discover that effective dads make as their goal that each member of their family achieves his or her potential as a human being. That's what dads do, godly dads. A leader searches out the conditions which enable each person in the family to grow and to become uh, who and what God has made him or her to be. Here's what else a godly leader does. He enforces a reasonable level of order when there's an unwillingness by anyone in the family to relate positively to everybody else in the family. Otherwise, life just kind of gets miserable for everybody else. And a father who, who leads his family effectively is really like a great orchestra conductor, guiding here, leading there, affirming here, rebuking there so that a beautiful symphony of relationships can be created and maintained in that home. So effective dads don't assume that just bringing home a paycheck is the extent or the measure of their effectiveness. No, instead they pursue with passion their primary God-given role and responsibility. What's that? To raise a family well to raise a family well. So what is it really that separates an ineffective father from one who is leading his family well? You know what? It's really kind of simple, but it starts with a conscious decision. A conscious decision. I like how Gordon MacDonald put it. The first thing that separates them ineffective father, effective father. The first thing that separates them is the moment when they consciously decide that effective fatherhood is the preoccupying part of life. They accept the mandate. They confront the issues. They face the potential enemies, and they hear the challenge. All right, I will the answer, and they assume a new lifestyle, that of a positive, aggressive pursuit of the circumstances in which their family can hear and know the ways of the living God. Gentlemen, have you ever made that a conscious decision in your life? It's a conscious decision to be a godly leader in your own home. It's a decision to adopt a style of leadership that saturates every part of your life and the lives of your wives and your children. It demands a conscious and an ongoing commitment from you. It never just happens. You've got to decide that it's going to happen. 
Now, I said that we discover a principle about effective fathering in Psalm 128 that has two parts to it. First, I accept the duty of being the godly leader of my own home. The second part is explicitly stated in the very first verse. Blessed are all who, what? Fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And then it's repeated in verse 4. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who, what? Fears the Lord. Yeah. To, To lead a family well is one expression of fearing the Lord. And truly fearing the Lord is accepting the responsibility to be a godly leader in your own home. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It simply means that I I live with such a deep love and respect for Jesus and such profound uh, awe of his greatness that uh, that I choose to obey him in my everyday life. It begins the moment that you put your faith in Jesus and you're born again by the Holy Spirit. But dads, it doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. To fear God is to submit to the hand of God upon my life. To fear God is to let God mold me and shape me into uh, a man who belongs to him and to his ways of doing life. To fear God is to love God and to obey God. Only a follower of Jesus who truly fears God can ever hope to lead his family effectively. So, What's the principle of effective fathering that's embedded there in Psalm 128? It means being willing to lead your family in a godly way, but it also means that that godly leadership is a direct result of fearing the Lord first and foremost. Well, now, principles are important, to be sure but only if they result in in the kind of performance that you want. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about the performance of effective fathering. And we can't cover everything. I mean, we could talk about that all day long and into next week. But I just want to touch on a few important areas when it comes to the performance of being an effective father. By the way, these these are and were and still are areas of struggle for me. I mean, I I guarantee you that simply because I have Reverend Doctor in front of my name doesn't automatically mean that, that or make me an effective father or grandfather. I wish it did, but it doesn't work that way, does it? Well, here's the first thing. An effective father provides foresight for his family. Foresight. Meaning what? It means, it means that an effective dad will train his eye to discriminate between those things that build up and those things that tear down the lives of his kids and his wife. What you and your kids access on things like TV, social media, online sites, have the power to build or destroy, don't they? And so much gets communicated there about God, about the value of human beings, about racism, about the true effect of violence on people's lives, about sexual matters, about the place of money. Dads, do you have foresight? Are you aware what's happening there? You know, public education is something an effective father keeps his eye on. Thank God for it. But the effective dad is also alert to the fact that his son, his daughter, spends six or seven hours a day, five days a week with many people who don't share his family's value system in some very strategic areas. 
Believe me, I'm not advocating Christians create monastic communities. I'm not suggesting that we see all sorts of devilish conspiracies at every turn. But I am suggesting that the effective dad just is watching out. He realizes that he's in a war, and the prize is the soul of his kids. And until those children are old enough and wise enough to distinguish what's going to build them up and what's going to tear them down, dad is going to conduct an offense and a defense on their behalf. (laughs) I, I love this story. Back in April, Jacob Kingsley and um, his wife took their 11-month-old son, Shepard, to his first Cincinnati Reds game. And uh, Jacob told his wife before the game that he'd protect their son if a foul ball came close to their seats because they were located only 15 seats back from the field, 15 rows, rather, from, from the field. Well, wouldn't you know it, they're in the game, and a foul ball actually did zoom right in their direction during the course of the game. And, and little Shepherd was strapped to his father's chest uh, in a baby carrier, and he was enjoying a bottle when a foul, a foul ball went off one of the guy's bats and was headed at a fast speed right in their direction. And uh, uh, Jacob Kingsley said this. He said, when I saw that ball coming, I was like, okay, this is my time. I got to step up. He was using his left hand to feed his son the bottle. His right hand, however, was free. And as that foul ball came, he caught it with his right hand before it hit his son. And Jacob told reporters after that, he said, as a dad, you have to always be expecting the unexpected and be ready for anything to be flying out of whatever. (laughs) Amen, Jacob. You know what that is? That's foresight, men. Foresight. The effective father knows time uh, must be spent with and intentionally given to his family. Pity the home where you perpetually hear, ah, not now, maybe later, or wait till I finish this, or, you know, son, dad's really tired right now. Lack of time spent with the family has been justified and excused by this observation. It's quality of time, not quantity of time that matters. Oh, really? Careful now. You see, a a lot of quality time just happens spontaneously, happens randomly. You can't plan it. And if, if you're just not there You're going to miss out on that quality time altogether. Time allows dad to answer questions, provide moments of tenderness and physical affection, make key observations, give attention to hurt feelings and misunderstandings, provide simple companionship in life's activities. Time. It's part of the performance of being an effective dad. James Boswell wrote a famous biography of the literary British giant Samuel Johnson. And Boswell often referred to a very special day in his childhood when his father took him fishing. And that day, that one day was fixed in James Boswell's adult mind. And he would often reflect upon many things that his father taught him in the course of that one fishing experience on that one day in his life as a child. So it occurred to someone to seek out the journal that Boswell's father kept and determine what he had said about that specific fishing trip from the perspective of a dad. 
And turning to that exact same date in Boswell's father's journal, this person found only one sentence entered. Gone fishing today with my son, a day wasted. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that most of us men consistently underestimate the inherent power of just spending time with our families. It's part of the performance of being an effective dad. The effective father knows that he's responsible to also set the attitudinal tone for the family. How do conflicts get resolved in your family? Is there screaming and gnashing of teeth, or is it done honestly and respectfully? Does the family work together as a team? Are are there these rigid and flexible rules about what is supposedly women's work and what supposedly is men's work? Does dad go the extra mile himself when other people in the family get tired? Does dad have a negative critical spirit towards those with whom he works or the neighbors across the street? Our, Our everyday lifestyle men will teach our kids what our real attitudes and what our real values are all about. Setting the attitudinal tone of your home. It's part of the performance of an effective dad. The effective dad knows that discipline in the home is as much his responsibility as his wife's, maybe even more so. The godly father accepts the Bible's teaching that every person is a sinner. That includes his kids too, sure. But he will balance that knowledge with the awareness that human beings are fragile creatures. And the God-honoring dad works at, at knowing how and when to rebuke his kids. He learns when to punish them and how to do it well. A godly dad doesn't threaten. He doesn't explode. But he doesn't remain passively silent either. He takes action when it's needed. And his discipline is certain, it's consistent, it's done in a way that his child is built up and never torn down. Discipline, part of the performance of an effective dad. You know, the area that I feel the strongest about in terms of performance is the need for the effective dad to take on the role of spiritual leadership in his home. You know, folks, I I have nothing but the utmost respect and admiration for the women in our church and the women in other churches whose husbands don't come with them to worship or other events. Church just isn't a part of their lives. I believe there is a special place in heaven that God has reserved for you women. I really do. By the same token, I believe any family will be stronger and better off if the husband and the father is willing to take up his God-given role as the spiritual leader in his home. Far too many men in American culture, even those who profess to be born again and followers of Jesus, show by their attitudes and actions that the things of God the church of God, the people of God, and even God himself eh, is just kind of best left to moms and wives. Years ago, I remember one mother telling me what her daughter asked her. Mommy, aren't daddies allowed in church? Ouch. Ouch. Men, let me throw out some questions to us. 
do our wives, kids, grandkids see you read the Word of God? Does its contents ever come up in everyday conversation with them? Do they see or they hear you pray? Do they ever witness you taking the initiative to have a time of family prayer? Do do they see you sharing Jesus with anyone else or inviting someone to come to church with the family? Do they know if you tithe your income to the Lord's work? What choices do they observe when it comes to serving the Lord here at church or out in the community and pursuing some recreational activity instead? Whose responsibility... Oh, now I'm going to start messing with you. Whose responsibility was it this morning to make sure that everybody was up and ready for church on Sunday morning? Men, don't push that off on your wife. That's your job. That's your job. Oh, and, and don't blame your heavy work schedule for your inability to make church an integral part of your life and your schedule. J.C. Penney, the founder of Uh, the chain of retail stores named for him, was a devout follower of Jesus. Did you know that? Yeah, J.C. Penney. And he's credited with this statement. If a man's business requires so much of his time that he cannot attend the Sunday morning, Sunday evening services, and Wednesday night prayer meeting, then that man has more business than God intended him to have. J.C. Penney. What what did God say first and foremost to the men of Israel? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. What did Paul, that great Christian leader, write to the men of Ephesus? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. There is no more important part of performance than spiritual leadership when it comes to being an effective father. No, man, we, we, we can't be. We can't be, become the spiritual leaders that we're capable of being without the support and the encouragement of other men who want to genuinely follow Jesus well. Get into a discipleship triad. Join the men's version of regeneration when it's offered again. Join a Bible class or a small group. Find somebody here in the church to pray with regularly and meet with regularly. Men, it's primarily to us that God has entrusted the burden, the joy, the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the home. Are you the spiritual leader there in that place? That's the principle of effective fathering. And there's also the actual performance of being an effective father. But I want to finish up today by saying something about the enormous payoff of effective fathering. The payoff, the result. Is there one? Does it matter if you're an effective father or or husband or grandfather? Does it matter at the end of the day to your wife, to your kids, to your grandkids, if you're a man who does his best to follow Jesus? Does it really matter? Yes, absolutely. In most cases, it's going to result in a productive and harmonious home life. Now, folks, it's not an ironclad promise. Okay, But that decision 
To be a godly husband and a father greatly enhances the possibility of both enjoying and offering a healthy and a happy home. And folks, that's, that's a major message embedded right there in Psalm 128. Don't miss it. He's talking to the men. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. And notice the assumption in those verses. When the man, the husband, the father, the grandfather, when he's in a right relationship with God, everyone else in the family prospers. The wife, the kids, everybody. That's the meaning of the word blessing there in verse 4. This is reaping what you sow in the most positive sense. That's the meaning of the word prosperous. In verse 2, it's not so much material goods, but prosperity in a, in, in, a, in a much larger sense. It's a home. It's an environment where there is joy and goodness and fairness and graciousness and love. And, you know, here's another giant payoff. A family which is learning to live together well is a marvelous and a powerful witness to what can be gained if, if we follow Jesus. You know, folks, we, we live in a day and an age when people are just suspicious about lots of religious words. We, we've all been suckered too often, haven't we? But actions do speak louder than words. And even the most hardened pagan will sit up and take notice when he sees a family that lives together well. And godly husbands and fathers are an all-important factor in making that happen. The effective dad knows that he's only got a limited amount of time about 18 years, right, to stamp into the lives of his children things like godly behavior, godly attitudes, godly habits, godly values. And he stays at it day in and day out because he knows that one day there's going to be a wonderful payoff. You know, as I close today, I wanted just to share a lesson from history about the payoff of being an effective father and the payoff of being an ineffective father. You see, you're going to have a payoff either way. Being ineffective is going to have a payoff. It's going to have a result. Being effective will also have a payoff, a result. There was a boy raised in Germany some years ago now, who greatly admired and respected his father. Um, everything about that family centered around their Jewish faith. The father insisted that they worship at the Jewish synagogue regularly, that they receive um, instruction in the Jewish faith. He, he uh, submitted to that instruction as well. And it was all about the family and the Jewish faith. Well, they, they ended up moving. This family ended up moving to another community in Germany where there was not a Jewish synagogue. 
And uh, it so happened that the, the leading citizens, the leading people in that town all belonged to the Lutheran church. And so one day, this father, this Jewish father came home and he told his family that they were now going to abandon their Jewish faith and all become Lutherans. And um, his son was bewildered, confused. And um, his father went on to explain that they were doing this because um, it was good for his business. He needed to be around these successful people, and he needed to, to, to be with them and to be in their group. And so this is why they were going to convert and become Lutherans. Well, the bewilderment and the confusion in that young man grew and grew and grew until he became angry and embittered. He eventually left Germany and went to England to study. And as a result of his study, he published a book, a system that ended up having impact all around the world. The name of that man was Karl Marx. And the name of the system that he developed was communism. And if you've ever read the work of Karl Marx, you'll find that he believed that any religion and all religion was an opiate of the masses. In other words, it was just a drug to keep people passive and uninvolved. And certainly in the 20th century, the effect of the system that Karl Marx created had a negative impact, an adverse impact on billions and billions of people around our planet. And one wonders how much of the anger and the bitterness that Karl Marx felt, particularly toward religion, went back to a hypocritical, ineffective father. Jonathan Edwards is thought by many to be the greatest theologian that North America has ever produced. He was a leading voice in the Great Awakening Revival that was roughly between the years 1727 to 1744. What many people don't know is the legacy of Jonathan Edwards' family. He and his wife, Sarah, had 11 children. God bless her. Eleven children. And it's said that um, Jonathan Edwards would spend an hour with his children before dinner, helping them with their studies, just hearing about their adventures uh, of the day. And um, um, he would just uh, spend time with them. And this was interesting to me. He would, he would, every hour, every day that he did this, he met with them, he would bless each of those 11 children. He had a great quote. He said, every, every house should be a little church. I like that. Every house should be a little church. He was in great demand as a speaker. Whenever he went off on a speaking engagement, he took one of those 11 kids with him just so that they could see what their dad did, spend time with them. Historians have done a study on the direct descendants of Jonathan Edwards. 
They did a study on 1,394 of them. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bring all the I couldn't remember all the statistics, so I had to bring my cheat sheet with me. Okay, but this is what historians have found regarding 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards that they studied. One of them became an American vice president. Three were U.S. senators. Three became governors. Three became mayors. There were 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, 60 doctors, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, and 80 other public officials. That's the payoff of making up your mind to be a godly father and the legacy that you can leave your children and your grandchildren and generations after you. Men, do you want to be an effective husband, father, grandfather? Fear God. Fear God above any and everything else. Follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Make up your mind that you're going to be the godly leader in your home. And then make sure that you let the teachings of Jesus affect every part of your life every day, knowing that if you do that, there's going to be a payoff that only eternity will fully reveal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. And from this very short little psalm, Psalm 128, we've been reminded again what's important, what matters in terms of being a father from your perspective. Father, um, you know as well as we do that in our culture, fatherhood means a whole lot of different things. It can be confusing. It can be bewildering. And that's why we have to come back to your word to find out what you think about it, what's important to you. And um, so, Father, I want to pray for all of the dads and the granddads or great-granddads that are here in our midst today that we would make that conscious decision to be the godly leaders of our home and to look for any and every opportunity to influence our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids with the message of the centrality of Jesus in all things. Father, uh, we men are subject to to sin. We're subject to discouragement. We, We get sidetracked. And we thank you for the opportunity this morning just to remember what matters to you and what's going to have an eternal impact. Help us, Lord, to fear you, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to make it a priority with your help to be the godly leader that you've called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. 
can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.